Welcome back to the Five Things Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Week and Grey Group, roundtable discussion on all things that have happened of note in the last seven days in social, digital, innovation, and all of those fun uh, places. Um, I'm your host, Dan Bennett, and this week we have a returning guest in the form of Katie Perry, who is the uh, head of marketing for Public. Hello. Why Thanks is she back? back. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, she did a... Because she's wonderful and she's our mate now. Oh, okay. Uh, and she's good for search, right? Yeah. yeah. She, has, she has real reach. Yes. She's the SEO reach. on Katy Perry is pretty great. great. It's awesome. Podcast, no doubt. But we also have another special guest this week. Uh, and that is Paul Cantonis, who's the chief marketing officer for Who Say at Viacom and CBS. Who Say being a Viacom and CBS company? Uh, yes, it is. Have I, is do, I, do I have to lean forward into the microphone like this? Is that like legally... This? Correct, the way I just... Viacom CBS. Very good. Is Paul, correct. thanks for coming down from Thank Times you. Square. Uh, in the room, as always, Kenny Gold. Hello. And Toby Daniels, the founder and CEO of Social Media Week. Hello there. Hi, Toby. That's um, your NPR voice. Wait a minute. He, he that has, will mask the whole podcast. He has got a lovely <laughs> voice. Right. The five things this week, my friends, without further ado, we are going to speak about uh, LinkedIn have confirmed that LinkedIn Stories is coming soon. I uh, don't know why that's number one on the five things, but it is, and Toby's going to cover that. Uh, number two, toy makers are working with popular YouTubers. Ryan Reynolds and Aviation Gin toast an 84-year-old Leap baby for finally turning 21. Uh, number four is tech trust survey from The Verge that Kenny's going to speak about. And then rounding out the five things, Katy Perry talking about Teenager created fake political candidate account on Twitter got verified. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we were talking about the fifth round of the FA Cup, Liverpool on fire, losing to Chelsea. Is this not that the is a, FA that, that's Cup the other, podcast? Are you in the wrong podcast studio? Because that's happening next door. I've been uh, wondering why Paul's here the whole time. Five footy things is next door. <laughs> do you know anything about the media landscape? Because that might be helpful. Can I, can I, uh, I do want to jump in and interject just one second. There is a sixth thing that kind of we should be talking about because Katie actually has some news. Oh, okay. Um, well, this week, uh, Public uh, announced a funding round of $15 million, which is super exciting. Um, we had return investors from Excel and Graycroft, who are some of the original awesome. investors in Venmo, and then some really fun celebs, Paul, that you might appreciate given your world. So Will Smith via his Dreamers VC, mm -hmm. Sophia Amoroso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss, JJ Watt, who is an absolute beast in the NFL and just an overall great guy. Uh, Casey Neistat, who I know some of the mm -hmm. people here uh, know very well, and a few others. So super exciting time. We're growing the community. Lots going on. I know Kenny over here is a power user. Power, power user. user. Power uh, user. So power yeah, user. thanks for, and, and for letting me share that. And if we say Casey Neistat, we have to say Social Media Week speaker yes. Casey yes. Neistat. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and friend of, of uh, Daniel Bennett as well. Yeah. But also, most importantly, what's way more important actually than that particular piece of news is the fact that it probably wouldn't have happened or come together if it wasn't the fact that prior to that, you had appeared on this podcast <laughs> yes. and had an opportunity to talk about public. That was definitely that the catalyst. That is influence that we have. I actually part. also have some news, okay. and that is that um, Public are now the official sponsor of the uh, Five Things podcast, and all of that investment money is going to go towards that sponsorship. Yeah, it is. So just, 
Let the yeah. team know. Hashtag ROI. Yeah. All right. Great guys. work, guys. <laughs> let's, uh, without further ado, let's do- dive into number one. LinkedIn has confirmed that LinkedIn stories are coming soon. Toby D- D- Daniels. LinkedIn stories are coming soon. Yay. I can just, I can feel the enthusiasm. <laughs> can you see the look on my face? Feature <laughs> rollout. Um, so this story was featured in social media today. Um, uh, and uh, not to be confused, obviously, with Social Media Week, which um, I think if you do the math, is seven times bigger than social media today. See, look, we've got a dad joke in there. Um, That's so, not a dad joke. That's not a joke. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> so um, here's a little quote from the article, which I thought was quite nice. So it may come as little surprise. It may seem like an odd fit. Either way, LinkedIn has this week confirmed that it's working on its own version of stories, which will be rolled out to all users soon. Um, this is obviously no surprise. Um, pretty much every single feature, I think, on the LinkedIn platform has been borrowed, stolen uh, from other platforms. Um, it's been a while, I think, that uh, since we've sort of seen LinkedIn innovate in any particular way. But I think it's definitely interesting and worth us kind of digging into. So the general sentiment, I think, and I'm not sure whether you guys would agree, is that like introducing a stories feature with like ephemeral content uh, may potentially help to grow LinkedIn's relevant relevance among young people. Um, however, this uniform format shift of stories across all social platforms may ultimately make it harder um, to kind of, you know, increase or boost their individual value. So there's a quote from Pete Davis. Pete Davis is at LinkedIn. He's the guy that's kind of like leading the effort on the product side. He says, stories first appeared on Snapchat with other platforms like Instagram and Facebook adopting them soon after. They spread for a good reason. They offer a lightweight, fun way to share an update without it having to be perfect or attached to your profile forever. Does that exist in the business world? I'd hope that most of my interactions in the break room or passing people in the hall are similarly ephemeral and light. Um, so, the, so the contrarian in me hopes that this, when they roll this feature out, that we don't actually have to endure people's break room experiences or I, those. I could, I'd I, love oh, to be oh, in the break room at LinkedIn. What a fun place! It okay, like. or, or the serendipitous moments where like people pass each other in the office. It's not because like I'm actually against the idea that like having some kind of raw sort of human experiences in the business world wouldn't be interesting. I just don't know whether, and I'm, I do feel I'm, I have a contrarian perspective and I, I, I find myself thinking about this in two different ways, but I don't know whether this content needs to exist on LinkedIn. So my other con- hope is that the content serves a purpose and that purpose offers some sort of utility rather than offering the same experience that you can get on Instagram stories. Okay, like I'm raising my hand. dress up as a suit and tie. Okay. I am raising my hand because... You love this. I do. And I, lo- I, and, and I love... LinkedIn for a lot of reasons. I think the networking component of LinkedIn is fantastic. The content interaction component of LinkedIn is difficult. One of the major users of of LinkedIn are marketers who are trying to recruit new talent to their halls. And you would be not shocked in almost every client meeting I have where we talk about a channel ecosystem. We talk about mechanisms that can be implemented within LinkedIn to recruit talent to join the ranks of different companies and help them grow. Showing a more human side of the employee base by using stories will become an integral tool for marketers to show the culture that exists within their halls. If you remember back to when 
IBM created the IBM Blur on Tumblr. That was innovative because it took a feature and a, and a program that people weren't using, and it was able to show these are the people who are here. It attributed badge value to being a part of that community. So if you see Google, Apple, Viacom, Public, any of these companies that want to recruit new talent, they can use this feature to, in a quick hit way, show people what culture is like in their company in a way that will be quite engaging. Another thought, just uh, to build up. Is it quicker off. than the first thought? Yes. Stories is the modern day version of channel surfing. It is what you do when you have downtime to be able to engage. I think people jump from platform to platform, they engage with those individual stories and they move on. It is the right thing for this channel to do to help modernize it and help it grow. End of point. Um, so on your first point, let me jump in here. Please. Uh, I have found over the last couple of years that we've used Instagram to tell that people's story. And we call it the play side of who we are as a company and use it as a way to show people what it's like to work at Husay, now Viacom, now Viacom CBS. And it has been wonderfully effective. So you actually convinced me on that first part because we had taken we had taken a, a, an ability to do something on Instagram and use it for the talent side connected to our brand from a corporate strategy. And I went from being like, ah, what the hell, to, all right, actually, Kenny, you got me. Well, I just want to add one more thing because this could end up as being like one thing this week because it's a, it's a big one. But, um, and I, I think I'm with you. I think there's it's interesting to sort of switch between um, your LinkedIn audience and let's say your Instagram audience, even though the feature and functionality of creating and sharing a story is basically the same. Um, and, and I definitely am on board with this idea of like serving or acting as a utility or as a way of being able to kind of like communicate culture. Um, the problem is your channel surfing analogy is not a great one because like channel surfing as an experience sucks. No one enjoys surfing channels the problem with stories is that like 90 percent of the content is not content that you're interested in or want to consume necessarily so am i going to have to spend time on linkedin channel surfing content that's just like not interesting or relevant that is exactly what channel surfing is channel surfing is not fun because you don't know what you want to watch it can be cumbersome so going through your stories on Instagram is just that. To your, to your comment about spending time, I think that's the challenge because for ephemeral to work, it means someone has to be engaged in the platform multiple times throughout the day. And right mm -hmm. now LinkedIn is like a once a day maybe thing and you'll miss a lot. And so maybe it'll have the result of pushing people to check in more. But if, if it's the same kind of behavior, then a lot of that's just going to you know go away. Do we think, to round this out, that there's a B to see element of this that will start to appear then. Because if you're talking about Paul's point, you know, on Instagram, which is a consumer platform, it, it, are we going to see that B2C type relationship happen through LinkedIn as an insight into how companies work? Perhaps. I don't like the distinction between the two things anyway. I think it's just about life and context. That's rubbish. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Before this gets dirty here, we should be moved. We should. Uh, I only said that to my mate, Tony. Yeah, I, I, definitely, definitely. I don't agree. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Guy Liverpool just, are rubbish. Guy guy just, Liverpool. I saw that. It's another podcast. Yeah. Uh, guy just showed me that we've already burned through 10 minutes on LinkedIn. If you want to learn more about uh, LinkedIn stories, go to Kenny Gold's LinkedIn page and see his upcoming <laughs> stories. Um, 
All right, Kenny, toy makers are working with popular YouTubers. Yeah, so not surprising, a growing number of manufacturers are now looking to work with YouTubers to create toy lines and products that capitalize on the interests of younger audiences. So if you think about how the older generation, YouTube is really just seen as an online video platform. For a younger generation, they've grown up with YouTube as their primary entertainment platform. Some YouTubers have already launched initial toy lines. So Blippi, for example, a very popular channel with kids 7.6 million subs, has its own range of toys that are already available in retail stores. If you think about the number one earner on YouTube in 2019, it's Ryan from Ryan's World who does popular toy reviews and toy unboxings. Um, this is the way that it's supposed to be. Uh, I think you're going to see uh, not only are these toy lines going to be popping up, but they're going to be quite successful. Ryan's toy review? Just let me say, Nickelodeon, Viacom, CBS. There Thank you, you go. Much. Oh, That's my, why I'm here. This is a plug. This is a plug-filled podcast. He started organically, and then you guys partnered with him. So oh, yeah, we ran the ads. I ran the ads against it. Have you ever had to watch it? It's so painful. I. I have How a, old is he, Ryan? He's like six years old or something, Props or ten years old. He's Ryan's a child. Parents. Yeah, seriously. I have a five-year-old who watches that stuff occasionally. But does he, here's the thinking I'm going to give on that. Ryan's world, it works. It does really well. The content works on TV and Nickelodeon as well. Um, I don't know how many people will translate very well into this at the end of the day. It was like the move of getting YouTubers onto TV. A couple of shows were able to happen, uh, like Epic Meal Time became Epic Meal Empire on FYI, and it did well for like mm. two, three seasons. And it got actually the, sa the same demographic, but a different group of uh, people in that in that demographic were watching it on TV, but for the most part, they did not translate. YouTubers did not translate into TV. We're gonna have a couple of hit moments where somebody will, but I think for the most part, it's going to be very difficult to make yeah, a lot I, of these I, happen. I, I think the key here is what you're going to see is YouTube becomes more popular and people are watching these programs more instead of television. You're going to see that their ability to translate into product world will be very easy. It won't be long before Babish is making, you know, kitchenware when you've got, you know, which used to be what Gordon Ramsay and Hell's Kitchen did. Mm -hmm. It's not go. So right now the trend is that toy manufacturers are seeing that the world of kid entertainment on YouTube is ripe to build product off of it. I think this will start to move into the older Gen Z and millennial audiences that the stuff they watch can turn into product. So interesting trend uh, for the YouTube world. The other end of the spectrum is going to be point thing three this week, which is gin. Um, as far as I know, there are no kid YouTubers selling gin yet. Um, but Ryan Reynolds is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Paul, so I Paul got... talk to us about Ryan Reynolds and his gin. So there's two parts, I think, to talk about this. One is the creative and one of marketing tactics. So let's go on the creative side first. So what I really like about Ryan Reynolds being involved with Aviation Gin is this is what you would call the classic double act in, act in comedy. You have the, the straight man, which is the gin in this case, which is not particularly very funny, actually very straightforward, and feeding the humor in essence to Ryan, who's acting as the funny man, the banana man, the classic comedy component of it, where he's not saying the brightest things sometimes, or he's doing things that are a little bit awkward, like he started with the Westminster Dog video where he's running with the bottle of gin with him. He says things like, I've uh, tried every type of gin and this is the best. I don't suggest you try every gin. 
type of thing, you know. So he's he's from that perspective, creatively, it works really, really, really well. Because just take a look at the brand. The brand is kind of serious. Um, what I think everyone needs to acknowledge about this is this is true influencer marketing. This what we're seeing is what influencer marketing is. And so what I mean by that is you work with a creator that makes authentic content for the brand because it is authentic to Ryan Reynolds. It is his voice, his comedy, his style. And he legitimately has a stake in the business. He, he has a, a real uh, desire to see this do well and he really appreciates it. It's um, first released within his handle. So, you know, we're mostly looking at what? His 5.4 million on Facebook, 3.5 million on Instagram, which he does not release it in his handles on Instagram. Um, and then 1.85 million on YouTube. Um, those YouTube and Facebook are the primary places. They've targeted the hell out of it, put paid media behind it, and delivered business outcomes that they're happy with. That is what influencer marketing is hands down and guess what they don't have to worry about fraud because paid media is driving the majority of it this is how you do influencer marketing i think it's a great point and i think also um well first of all i'm just a huge fan of ryan reddles like he's my guy and i think that everything he puts out is just so incredibly good but i i was reading something about like his process and really what goes into mm -hmm. the creative and how they actually produce this content he makes it look effortless of course it just feels like it's just something he's kind of slapped together the truth is there's just like a whole team oh, yeah. behind him and he is driving the creative there's absolutely no doubt but what i it's love about voice, it is right? that it feels as you say for want of a better word authentic but it also feels effortless as well which i just think it makes it so enjoyable to kind of watch newsflash authentic comedians work comes from dedicated team of writers yes Woo! <laughs> yeah does anybody want to talk about the actual thing here as well, which is the 84-year-old Leap Year Baby 2021? It's shocking to me that no other liquor company has come up with this before. Every year, every single time a Leap Year comes around, you're always waiting to, you get that same Instagram content where everyone's like, oh, it's my sixth birthday, it's yeah. my seventh birthday. And everyone just kind of laughs it off, but you don't see anything truly authentic. All of a sudden, Aviation Gin comes in with pure fire yeah. and is just like, we're going to do this. Yeah. And I, I think it's brilliant. It was so well done. Do we see a car company doing 18th birthday getting their license? I hope next not. Next leap year? <laughs> a Four pure ripoff? Yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, we have a car company here. Yeah, um, exactly. Can you hold, <laughs> hold that on. idea for four years, while we, four years while we speak yes. to Volvo? <laughs> Could you write that down into a brief for us? Yeah. Um, so. Just mm. right. market. That's good. Um, Kenny. Yes. I, I sorry, I put my notes too far away and I'm getting old. I can't read. I can't I'll tell read you what it. it is. No, no, no. I've got to do this bit. Okay. This is the best bit. Go Kenny, ahead. talk to us about Tech Trust Survey from The Verge. I think that's why everyone tuned in this week. Yeah, so The Verge released their tech survey for 2020 and they polled Americans about which big tech companies they trust with their personal information uh, and which ones should really be broken up. So Microsoft and Amazon came out favorably while consumers were more skeptical of Facebook. So this is coming off of the hangover of the 2016 presidential election in the US, where Americans were really beginning beginning to come to grips with the fact that the, the vast reach and influence of big tech platforms is here to stay. Two and a half years later, lead up to another presidential election, those trends have really accelerated. Some interesting statistics here. 56% said the government should break up tech companies if they control too much of the economy. 
72% said that Facebook has too much power. I agree. 51% said Google and YouTube should split into separate companies. And if you want to know which companies were the most trusted according to this survey, Americans believe that Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, and YouTube have an overall positive effect on society. I think it is very interesting, the narrative that is happening here, framing it through the election tells you why this worked the way it did, but... Give me that list again. Google. Yeah. Amazon. Yeah. Apple. Yeah. Microsoft. Netflix. Yeah. All companies that you can invest with. So none of them, none of them being YouTube. none of them being social media companies. None of them wow. being social media. Well, YouTube. Twitter got crushed too in that. Yeah. Survey. But but okay. So we can all agree there's nuances within that last statement. But generally speaking, the social the, the companies that first put their flag out of social media are, are not on the winning side of this equation. Uh, yes, that's correct. And that's I eat Facebook. You're saying Facebook, Facebook, Twitter. Twitter. Instagram, Instagram, Pinterest. I mean, look, every single time we talk about in the media problems that exist as a product of like how we use social media, Facebook is, of course, the first company that gets thrown under the bus because they're the biggest, right, with the wielding the most amount of influence. And I'm not saying that that shouldn't be the case, but there is a disproportionate amount of time and attention placed upon them versus a some of the other um, social media companies and b the other technology companies who also have to be in the spotlight as well when we like th are thinking about these sorts of things particularly in regards to kind of the impact and influence on like elections or the impact and influence on us as human beings and our mental health and all these other sorts of things so i think the media skews things to the point where consumers actually don't know what they're talking about so when you go out and survey a whole bunch of people it's not to suggest that the data is not like accurate it's to suggest that people don't fully understand or aren't fully educated as to what's really going on with these companies in terms of the role and impact and influence that they play in our lives. I think there's truth to that, but the other piece is it's like trust in the company is about the product and then kind of their policy. And with Facebook was interesting when they broke it down. Um, there was an equal percentage of people who said they quit Facebook due to not liking the content and the product as their policy. And so it's always this balance of like, how much am I willing to put up with in order to, if, if it's a great product like an Amazon or a Google that you can't live without, you will you will endure more privacy missteps. But let's talk about those numbers. Let's talk about the number of people that have quit Facebook for either of those two reasons. And when you actually look at the data, the numbers aren't significant enough mm -hmm. for it to matter. What matters is the headline, right? What matters is the fact that people are quitting Facebook um, to, to the perception of Facebook. But the truth is that those numbers are not significant enough for... for well, at least Facebook, not to be worried, or for it to be statistically meaningful. Yeah, it's just to me, it's interesting. Like Amazon, everyone kind of, there's there is a negativity around Amazon. I think maybe not in this survey, but in our little circles. But we're not going to give up Amazon. It's too essential to our lives. Whereas Facebook's core product experience, not really essential to my life. Like I deleted Facebook last year, didn't miss it. So it's, re downloaded it. I re downloaded <laughs> it for work actually, which I had to do. But, but yeah, and but, if I'm if I'm quarantined, I don't want Facebook and Instagram because I'm going to get all the FOMO of the non quarantine people. But <laughs> Google, Amazon, Netflix, YouTube—they're going to give me things to watch and they're going to deliver everything I want. And by the way, let me just antibacterial wipe the microphone here a little bit. I don't want anyone to get infected. Uh, so I will hold on a second. We got to address oh. an important moment in this podcast, guy. How many minutes in are we? Oh, we wow. got to 23 minutes without discussing the f***ing beat that <laughs> coronavirus. And Paul ruined it for everybody listening. <laughs> All right? And you can find him at... Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the one thing I will throw out is, and, and this is actually quite frustrating 
in my opinion, as someone who, although am critical of Facebook, really do love the platform and the suite of apps underneath of it. They just came out into the world with a massive overhaul of their branding and a massive ad campaign that talks about who they are as a company, where they were highlighting groups and the connectivity of Facebook as the major function of what they do. I think it was a really large missed opportunity for them when they did their rebranding to reframe who they are and their commitment to helping better society. I think they really did have, it was, they when you come Agreed. out and you say, we're a new suite of apps, this is what we look like, this is how we're gonna be known, we're gonna be launching new channels that represent this new corporate structure, and we are going to place a Super Bowl ad buy to talk about what our most important function is, and they come out and they talk about groups. And, and I think that that really was a missed opportunity for them as a brand to be able to, to change that narrative. I can't comment on that. And here we that. are, spending a disproportionate amount of time talking about Facebook. Well, it is a social media podcast, and they are the largest social media network. So. But Kenny, what I want to know is why on the rebrand, in the apps, they put a splash page at the beginning of their color with the little logo. They didn't have that prior to oh, the rebrand. Yeah. On Instagram. We, we talked about this, I think, on like episode yeah. three or four. I can't remember exactly which, but... You know, I, I had the opportunity to talk about the rebrand and my, my position on it was that this was a bold move because attaching the Facebook name and the new logo to every single one of the, their apps is about is a statement that basically says we're very confident mm -hmm. in Facebook Inc. Mm -hmm. as the parent company to these apps, so much so that we want to attach the name to products that people love. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a very bold move. Whether it was the right move or not, I just think it was bold because bold. It, it speaks to their confidence in in the the uh, corporation that is Facebook. All right, let's move on to my favorite thing of the week. And Katy Perry is going to talk to us about the fact that a teenager created a fake political candidate account on Twitter and got it verified. Yes, I was super excited to get this one because the unidentified teen is from upstate New York and so am I. Uh, yeah. So good things happening up there always. Yeah, that's, that's uh, Birthplace good. of Post Very Malone. Very to do up there. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> yep, yep, go Cuse. Um, so a teenager from upstate New York created a Twitter account for a made-up congressional candidate and was able to get the account verified by Twitter. Uh, for context, Twitter has been working to verify the legitimacy of political accounts in an effort to deter the spread of bad information. Heading into another contested election season, obviously something like this calls into question their ability to handle this kind of thing. So how did this happen? Uh, Twitter partners with a company called Ballotpedia, which is a digital encyclopedia of American politics and election at all levels of government. The person created a profile there. Twitter assumed it was legit because it was through their partner. Next thing you know, he's got a blue check. Um, so, like, yikes, this is just not good. But my kind of question to the group is, is this just a funny headline that's, you know, one of those things that gets tossed around or really indicative of a bigger problem? I think it's um, way more interesting or complicated than that. I mean, first of all, these platform companies come out all the time with their statements, right? They're sort of like, we're doing X, Y, and Z to protect kind of, you know, the political process or to make sure there's like integrity in terms of like, you know, how we um, um, how we verify people, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of hot air around these like headlines and statements that they like to make. The truth is that there are 
giant holes that exist um, within the technology or within the kind of the processes. And it's important that we are constantly looking to exploit them. We need more of this. We need more people out there trying to figure out how to exploit the actual technology and the processes so that they can be like improved and and um, and tightened up over time. We need this. That. This is a call to arms for social media vigilantes. I think so. Error we need testing. it. We, we heard it, it here. As much Stress as we talked testing. about like, you know, um, Kenny, you talked the other week about, I'm not sure if it was Anonymous or someone else, was like the, the hacker group that was looking to try and hack Facebook. You they do, did, you do successfully. Need these, yeah, you need these activist groups actually trying to kind of exploit these platform companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my parents were both uh, computer programmers, masters of computer science, and when I was younger, they used to let me just get on all the platforms they were creating and the code they were making to break it. And wow. I used to just type in whatever I could, any combination on the keys, enter everything. You need that. You need people to do that to really know where those holes are and people who are not part of the organization itself because you tend to follow pathway, consumer pathway, pathways you think exist, but you need these outside groups to tear it them also, apart. It ties into the last point again about trust, right? And Twitter, perhaps suffering more than some from this point of view, doesn't help them. It's not a good look for them on that front, right? And they're testing this week the the fleets feature, which is ephemeral tweets. Yeah. So that I mean, th if you think it's hard to kind of uh, moderate this kind of thing, imagine when things that people are posting are disappearing. I mean, I think the bigger problem isn't just one kind of one-off account. It's the ability of organizations internationally to create a bunch of fake accounts and actually influence the algorithm and the trending topics. Yeah. There was a New York Times story a couple years ago called the Follower Factory that won a ton of awards, but essentially there was a company buying uh, people's you know, images and creating armies of fake profiles to actually influence things in the real world. To me, that's like the bigger, more scarier thing. Here's a prediction, Jack Dorsey will be out within the next two weeks. Not mine. Professor Galloway's prediction, uh, but I think you'll be out right. in the next usually two right weeks. Usually right on those. Is, is it real? I, I haven't heard this. Is it really called Fleets? I think They're, it's called Fleets. I mean, it's testing, But there's I think, a fleet en enema. A like what? a fleet enema. That's a kind of enema medical. Also a great yeah, it's social just, media it's company. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah, you think Jack thing. Dorsey's going to be out of Twitter in two weeks? Within two weeks. Oh, I'll take that bet. How long do you think? Are okay. You your hands, but they I'll take are, it. They are fist bumping. We'll check bet. in. We'll check in on that in 14 days. What is on the table here? What did we bet? Uh, two weeks, hundred dollars. Hundred bucks. What? Uh, I was gonna say lunch, but okay. Hundred bucks. Lunch is a hundred bucks. A hundred dollars worth of stock in Twitter. It, yes. On public. On public. Done. I was going to suggest $100 we'll, we'll to the charity we'll of your choice. The there we go. All oh, right. oh, oh, I like that. Okay. Oh, Out the window goes the charity idea. Uh, <laughs> and there, therein lies the moral compass of the Five Things podcast, my friends. Um, that's going to do it for us this week. We've, 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 we've hit that 30 minute mark. Um, so your commutes are coming to an end. Uh, I want to thank Katie Perry, Head of Marketing at Public, for joining us again. Thank you. Um, it's always great to have you here. Paul Contonis, Chief Marketing Officer at Who Say, Who Say at Viacom CBS. Thanks for coming in, bud. I hope you come back. We'd love thank to you. have you back. Thank Kenny you. Gold, Toby Daniels. Thank you, thank you. I've been Dan Bennett. And uh, stay healthy, my friends, and we'll see you next week. The Five Things is produced by Andrew Petit, Grace McDougall, Joey Scarillo, John Dillon, and Al Manorino, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices 
with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive Global Creative Insights Partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.